so much more. I'm Jody Nisnik. This is a podcast designed to help you create space for God. Jesus, in some of his last words, found in John 16, 12, stated, There is so much more I want to tell you. He then pointed to the Spirit as the one who would come, who would further his teaching by bringing his word to life for us. So much more creates space for God to reveal his truth through his word. Today, I'm excited to have Tim Stevenson with me as we have a conversation around Psalm 103 and what the Lord is teaching him. Tim is a master Sherpa executive coach. He is the author of 11 published books and hundreds of leadership articles. But more importantly, to me at least, he used to be my pastor, and he is the person who taught me to love God's Word. He is one of the reasons why I went into vocational ministry, and he has been a mentor and a friend to me through the years. And so I'm super excited to have Tim with me and to share him with you today. So welcome, Tim. Glad you're here. Oh, thank you, Jody. And I don't think I could receive a greater compliment than that you love God's Word more. Because of you. <laughs> it's true. It's a hundred percent true. In fact, I still remember many of your teachings, and I think that's rare. I mean, we're talking fifteen plus years ago, and I can still remember things that you said. So I think that just is a testimony to how the Lord has gifted you and used you in my life, and I know many, many people's lives. So um, so I gave a quick little introduction of you, but why don't you tell us a little bit more about who you are? Well, as you mentioned, I've spent 28 years in various forms of Christian ministry, 13 years as a senior pastor, 15 with two different Christian organizations. I was vice president of one, executive director and chairman of the board of another. When I hit a certain age about 15 years ago, I was reading Psalm 90 about of the years of our life, we have 70 or due to strength, 80. And I was thinking, hmm, I think I can see that finish line <laughs> as soon as the Lord lets me get that far. How, how should I spend them? And as I, as I look back over my career, obviously God and his word and serving people is number one. But what form is the question? And so I realized what I really enjoyed the most was leadership development. I loved developing other leaders and then seeing them run off and be influential and do all the good they do. <clears throat> and so at that, I thought that would be a great way to spend this last portion of my career. And so I investigated and got a certification in a form of executive coaching called Sherpa coaching, which is a fascinating process. I've done the 12-week formal process with over 300 individuals to date. I work in, in, in the world today. Uh, in the secular world, I work with many companies of all kinds, a lot in the world of medicine, including engineering, uh, condo development, moving and logistics. And I've also coached a number of pastors and other Christian leaders. Um, the common denominator, as different as all those realms are in the work they do, is they all require leadership. And leading people is leading people wherever it is. And so I, the last thing I would say is to my pastor friends out there, you have to understand and practice leadership fundamentals just as much as anyone else. Um, it may sound sacrilegious, but I'm going to say that it doesn't matter how godly you are, how well you know the Bible and teach it. If you make fundamental leadership errors, 
you're going to hurt your ministry, limit it, maybe sink it. Hmm. A lot Hmm. of pastors have lost their ministries, not because of a lack of godliness, but because of a lack of leadership ability. Hmm. So it's something, it's relevant everywhere. And uh, that's really how I devote my time. Yeah, well, I uh, will get into this maybe a little at the end, um, but I've gone through that process with you, that Sherpa coaching process, and it was really helpful for me. Uh, and so, well, we can talk about that as we move on. Let's. I want to dive into Psalm 103, and I want to remind us of the passage, so I'm going to read it for us. This is Psalm 103, verses 8 through 14. The Lord is compassionate and gracious slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. So this is such an amazing psalm, and it was hard. It's, I mean, as with all of the psalm readings that we're doing, it was hard to edit out uh, some of the verses, because the verses before these and the verses after it just have so many good things, Um, but can't do it all. So chose these verses. And we did this as a Lectio, um, asking the Lord to try to help us notice a particular word or phrase. So Tim, as you did this process, where did the Lord take you in your reading? This has been my favorite Psalm of all the 150 for many years. Hmm. Um, And this section that you've chosen is the heart of it to me. And the many times I've read it, a different one of these verses is the one that sticks out that day. Um, I think the one that most consistently has been the thing that touched me is verse 14. He knows how we're formed. He knows what we're made of. He remembers that we are but dust. Um. I've in my ministry and in my own experience, I've seen and met so many people who were bowed down, um, burdened, not much joy or peace. They believe in the Lord, but they don't seem to be enjoying it very much. And I, I've found over and over again people carrying on their shoulders burdens that God did not put there. Mm. Uh, it's often responsibility for someone else's life and their choices, which you can't control or circumstances that they can't control. And most often, I think it's their own failures and sins have weighed them down. And and they will consistently say things like, God is disappointed with me. God is sick at his stomach with me. God can't stand me. And I've heard that countless times. And and I've, I've realized that what people are doing is carrying around unrealistic expectations about themselves and they believe God has unrealistic expectations of them. Uh, that, no, these verses, look, God knows you better than you know yourself. He knows how weak you are. He knows how vulnerable you are. He knows how temptable you are. And I promise he doesn't have any unrealistic expectations about your performance. <laughs> so 
uh, you've got to remember, he knows us. When Christ died for us, he knew what we were made of. Mm -hmm. He had no illusions about our performance, our ability. That's why we needed a Savior to begin with. And so these verses are God as a father just saying, calm down. Calm down. I love you. I know who you are. I know what you are. I I love you. It doesn't change. And and if you can get believers to hear these this passage, for example, and recognize this is all grace. It's mm-hmm. grace upon grace upon grace. And to live with that knowledge, um, amazingly, they start wanting to get closer to God. If you feel unworthy, you're going to avoid him. Mm. You're going to run from him rather than coming to his face. Yeah, I think that's such a good point. All of what you're saying really resonates with me. And it's even, I think, one of the things that you helped me understand years and years ago, because I became a believer when I was 13. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. I didn't have any good teaching or theology to hang my new belief on. No structure for that. Um, But even people that have been raised in the church come with a lot of false baggage about who God is, what he's asking them to do. And so I think grasping the truth that you're saying it does, it brings this true freedom to us where we can actually start pursuing God because he knows who we are. He remembers we are dust. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know what if there's anything worse than just being dust, right? I mean, I try to <laughs> I try to sweep up the dust and get rid of it constantly. I'm like constantly trying to get it out of my house. And he's he actually looks at that and he's like, "Yeah, that's that's okay." Like and he loves us because of that and in spite of that because he's the one who formed us and breathed life into us. Yes. And of course, this is kind of an allusion back to the creation of Adam, body made from the dust of the earth. And then God breathed his life into him, making him a living soul and spirit. And so when we die, our bodies go back to dust again. Mm-hmm. But the body's not us. And, and I, there's a verse in Second Corinthians chapter four that I love where Paul says, even though our outer man is decaying, the inner man is being renewed day by day. And, and I'm, I'm experiencing that. I'm past Social Security age. <laughs> Won't get any more specific than that. <laughs> and I see the evidence of my body aging. Inside, I feel as young as can be. And it's what the, the what Christ does for you in that vibrant life you can have. But you must understand God's grace or you can't experience it. If you're still working for God to love you and accept you, it's it's an endless, you know, undoable task. Well, and I love even thinking about, you know, King David wrote this psalm, and I can't think of a person who experienced more heartbreak because of his sin than David, um, where he killed someone. He, I mean, like, the, it just the, the list goes on and on and on about all the things that happened, and I feel like this is just like coming out of him because he's experienced this grace and mercy from God. Um, and he's, I'm so grateful that he was also a poet because he, he was able to communicate words to us through the spirit um, that we have now. Like, so when, when he's saying uh, he doesn't treat us as our sins deserve, he has removed them as far as the East is from the West. This is something he knows intimately. 
In that one phrase you just mentioned, as far as the East is from the West, so far as he's removed our transgressions from us. Well, I think he has in mind the Jewish practice under the law of the Day of Atonement mm. in the practice of the scapegoat, which is the greatest religious day of the year for ancient Israel, where among the things they did, they would bring a goat and the high priest would confess the sins of the nation on the, on the goat, transferring the guilt to the goat. And then the goat was driven out of town or out of the camp into the wilderness, never to be seen again. And the picture is our sins are being taken away. And that's the thing. They have to be taken away. They don't go away by themselves. But the Old Testament never answers how God will separate our sins as far as the East or the West. Then you come to the Gospel of John, and John the Baptist sees Jesus coming and says to his disciples, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the fulfillment of the scapegoat. The result of Jesus' death on the cross is removing our sins as far as the East is from the West. And you can't get any farther apart than that. <laughs> nope. <laughs> because unlike the East and the West, it's not like the Earth. It doesn't circle back around. It just keeps going further exactly. and further away from each other. And yeah, it wouldn't work if you said North to the South. Because <laughs> you go far enough North, then you start going South. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's interesting. Yeah. Well, and and I like that the word the removal. It's not just it's not just um, you know temporary. It's not. And, you know, it's, it's removed, it's done, it's gone. And that's hard. It's so hard for us to wrap our minds around. And I think part of the reason is because we still suffer the consequences of sin, broken relationship and um, heartache. And, you know, the list could go on and on, even physical ailments to ourselves. And so we experience these kind of real things that happen as a result of sin. And yet God is saying, I'm removed the sin. It's gone. In his eyes, gone. Um, And we have to keep in mind that forgiveness, kind of summing up all that, is not an end in itself. Number one, the purpose of forgiving our sins and guilt is so that he could put his life back in us again through the resurrection and through the Holy Spirit. The Christian life is Christ coming to live in us. He could not do that if we were still wearing our own guilt. And then the purpose of that, once you come, he comes to live in us, sharing his life with us, Hebrews 4.16, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and grace to help in our time of need. You and I can go straight to the presence of God the Father with full confidence, full assurance that we're going to be accepted and welcome there anytime. Mm-hmm. Not just when I think I'm, quote, being good, anytime. Because when do I need help in grace? It's when I'm not doing so well. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say all the time. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, same thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's really good. Well, um, is there anything else that maybe surprised you as you kind of went through this experience reading, reading God's word in this way or anything that was new to you in the passage? I can't say that there was a new thought. It's just which ones jump out at me today. You know, the the verse about the spot, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness. It says in the NIV, love. The Hebrew word's hesed, mm-hmm. which is the most important word for grace in the Hebrew Bible. And it means something more than just our usual love. It means faithful, covenant, 
gracious love. And it's, it's love with a commitment to it. And it's love that is acting on the benefit for the benefit of the other person or that God acting toward us, maybe without us even asking. I mean, it's just, it's always looking out, always caring for and never changes. And so um, how great is God's loving kindness toward us? Well, I don't know. How far are the stars from us? That's how great. Um, and, I, and that is, I'm, you know, I'm older than you and a lot of your folks here. Uh, the older I get, the more I'm amazed by that God gives loving kindness on top of loving kindness on top of loving kindness. And every day there's a thousand reasons to say thank you. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, since you kind of brought that up, there's two repetitive for those who fear him. He has compassion on those who fear him. So um, I know this won't catch you off guard, and I can ask you, can you unpack a little bit for us? What, what does that mean, to fear, to fear God? It, it's, it's a standard word in the Old and New Testaments that stands for uh, reverent faith and worship. And so to say, like, for example, when Jonah was on the boat and they asked, which God do you fear? It's saying, which one do you acknowledge and worship? Same thing. And, and the reason the word that uses fear is because there's different kinds of fear. There's fear of an enemy who's trying to hurt you, a fear of a wild animal that might hurt you, or fear that there's a truck coming straight at me on the street. Well, that's fear of danger. And we are, that we're supposed to have that. Fear of God is not that. It's not fear of what an enemy or a hostile person would do to us. It's fear recognizing a glimpse of who he is. Mm-hmm. You know, um, there are some people who are so well-respected, so famous, so powerful, that if we got to meet them in person, we'd feel nervous. Um, no, they're just another human being like me. You know, they're made of dust, too. But what they represent, see, that's a little little piece of what it would be to fear God, which is why any time in the Bible somebody sees a vision of God, first thing they do is fall on their face. It's just overwhelmed, overwhelmed with, with, with him. And it's not because I fear he's going to do something bad to me. It's just who he is. And uh, any so-called Christian worship that becomes irreverent, um, treats God as kind of the man upstairs, that kind of thing. Um, that's way out of bounds. Mm-hmm. No, no, people who really know God don't talk about him that way. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's there is this like reverent worship that you're talking about, but there's also this implication of some form of relationship and some form of knownness. Mm-hmm. Like we worship him because we know his character. We know who. He is as much as we, as much as our human brains and minds, uh, as much as, as the people of dust can know him, uh, we, that's what leads us to that reverent worship. And so I love, I love what you just said about that. That's really good. Well, I love, I love the story where Isaiah sees God in Isaiah Mm -hmm. chapter six. He sees him on the throne, the angels around him saying, holy, holy, holy. Isaiah is flat on his face and his first response is, woe is me, I'm undone. I'm an unclean man, unclean lips, and I've seen the God of the created, the creator. And then God sends one of those angels with a coal from the altar symbolizing sacrifice, touches him on the lips, and then Isaiah stands up. Then the funny thing happens next, always kind of it's amusing to me, 
God says, well, I've got a job. This is paraphrase. I got a job for somebody to do. I wonder who we could send. <laughs> and then Isaiah's doing a horseback routine. Oh, oh, me. <laughs> the same man who's just on his face saying, woe is me, is now saying, here I am. I'll go. Mm-hmm. I'll be yeah, your it servant. Is, it's such an interesting passage. <laughs> I mean, I love, I love all of that passage. And and with you, I'm like, why, why are you asking God? He's, you know, you've just been through all of this and maybe it's, maybe it's so that he knows it's an invitation. You know, God's never forcing us. It's always the invitation to join him in his work. Yes, absolutely. I remember when I was young in the ministry, I, I took a year of Bible school at Criswell Bible Institute. And there were a lot of other young guys my age and they kept talking about being surrendering to preach. And I, I, what, what do you mean by that? Well, you know, I, I was in a church service and I, I felt God wanted me to become a pastor. I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to do it. But eventually I surrendered to preach. Now I'm in Bible school. I'm going surrender. No, that sounded to me crazy. I, my reaction is there's nothing on earth I'd rather do more. Surrender. Are you kidding? Yeah. You mean yeah. I get to serve God? That's, uh, uh, it's really strange thought patterns we can fall into. That makes me think of delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And I think that's when we delight in him, his desires become our desires. And so then yes. we're saying, oh, ooh, I'll do that. I'll do that yes. because he's gifted us for it, called us for it, equipped us for it. And there is no greater delight than being used right. by him, knowing, you know, knowing that you are doing something that you can't do on your own, that you absolutely need his, you know, spirit, his power working in you to do it. Um, So yeah, I love that. Well, Tim, uh, anything else about this passage before we move on? I would encourage anybody listening, read the whole Psalm. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but mark this passage. Uh, You'll want to come back to it often. And, And I hope people would digest this. I don't know a better better place in the Old Testament to go in a in a single place and find so much grace, so well said, so clear. Mm. It's just will will we believe it and act on it? Yeah. Well, I I'm curious for you. One of the things that's really important to me is sharing how other believers create space for God in their lives. And so there's no right or wrong answer to this question. But Tim, tell us a little bit about what that personal rhythm looks like in your life and how do you create and maintain space for God in your life? Well, it would help to, if I share briefly about my background, I was not raised in a believing Christian home, a good home, but not overtly faithful. I, and I, by, by the time I got to college and then through college, I was a hostile, angry skeptic of all religions and Christianity in particular. I, I hated it. Then through a little bit of working of God, when I was just about to turn 25, um, I started investigating the claims of Christ for, for, for sure and seriously for the first time. And then I got hooked. I got hooked on following the evidence. And I, I researched, I talked to people, I looked up things, I read books, read the Bible. And, and, it was a, and finally, the evidence for Christ being true was overwhelming especially, of course, the resurrection, but other things as well. And I'm very historically interested. I have lots of books in history, and I know the first century pretty well. So I knew what it fit into. 
finally, one night after about five or six weeks, I was laying in bed looking at the ceiling and I said, Lord Jesus, I have wanted all my life to know the truth. And now I'm convinced you are. And that was like five weeks after being utterly sure I would never be a Christian. Well, I went to bed that night. I got up the next morning. And I was somebody brand new. And, and I knew it immediately. I, my first, I, I'm not an early riser. I'm a night owl by nature. But I woke up at 6 a.m. And I said, where's my Bible? And I went and got it. Started to read Matthew, I believe. And uh, read an hour and a half that day. And, and it, was, it was different. It was like somebody snuck in there and rewrote the Bible. Because... <laughs> The same words I'd read before had a new thing to them. And I can't really explain it other than they made sense and they felt nutritious. The Bible felt like food and it's a subjective thing, but that's what it felt like. And it was so fantastic. I went back and did it the next day and the next day and it never stopped. Mm-hmm. And so for 95% of all the days since then, that's 43 and a half years. I've spent an hour more in the Bible. And so, um, no, God also made me to be a teacher and a preacher. So I I needed to be that kind of student. Um, And I I can't tell you the burden of responsibility I always felt that if I was going to get up and say, this is what God's word says, I better know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. And so I studied like a madman in a way and did all the normal theological kind of education and background that goes with it, but mainly the Bible itself. So even though I have not been in vocational ministry for 15 years, my study habits today are exactly the same. Um, I start each day for the most part. You know, if I miss one, I don't die about it, but 95% of the days of the year I will. I get up and I'm always reading through, through some book of the Bible. And I don't feel bound by any patterns, except that my general goal is to read the New Testament through twice in a year, all the way through, and about a third of the Old Testament. So every three years, I'll read the whole Old Testament. But the other thing I developed very early was a habit of starting my reading with three Psalms. Mm. So I just go through the book of Psalms progressively. I do one, two, and three, and then four, five, and six. And I find that doing that for me is very helpful because most of the Psalms are prayers and worship. And so they orient me toward a Godward focus and toward, remember, the purpose of Bible study is not Bible knowledge. The first and most important purpose of reading your Bible is to meet with your Heavenly Father. Mm. It's, it's meeting with a person. It's the only book you read to meet the author. And so you, you're meeting with the author of the book. So it's not just words you read. It's always relationship first. And so the Psalms help me right off the bat, focus on that relationship. So anyway, if I answer the question. (laughs) You did great. I, I have also been starting my time with the Lord in the Psalms and the season that I've been in. Sometimes I cannot get out of the Psalms. I just, they're speaking to me so much. Um, So I love that you're, starting there and that's the one more thing about that i my reading is excessive for an average person i expect nobody to study like i do and and i would never ask that or encourage them to try it do you remember um i had dr john hannah come do a bible a bible conference for us years ago 
on the spiritual life. And he said something so startling. I still remember and I still use it. He, uh, he said, God will change your life if you will read your Bible five minutes every day. Mm. Five minutes. And of course, everybody in the audience is going, five minutes? How could that be important? He says, you're probably wondering how five minutes can be important. <laughs> he <laughs> says, I'll tell you the secret. It's not the five minutes. It's the every day. And then he he went on to talk about it. And the the whole purpose is you have to develop an appetite. You know, if if you don't have any appetite for God's word, okay, read five minutes. Can you do that? And if you do it every day for a little while, you might want to read 10. Then maybe 15. You never know what will happen. But after a while, you start thinking, you know what? This is really enjoyable. Yeah, I love I love that you said that because, yeah, it's the every day. It's find something that works consistently and just start making that a pattern in your life and see what God does. Uh, well, Tim, I think we probably could just like keep talking and digging into these verses and um, and just talking about all the amazing truths in God's word. Uh, and I wish we had time, but I will probably have you come back and we'll do it again. How about that? Anytime. Tim, also tell us where we can find you because you do have a website and you have some leadership articles that people can download yes. as well. Um, I, I'm, I've written over 200 li- uh, articles on leadership, managing, personal effectiveness, and mainly about people's work, of course. Um, but you can find those on my website. And also I put them on LinkedIn under me. My website is stevensoncoaching.com. I will put that link in the show notes. So hopefully you'll be able to find it easily Um, if you're interested in leadership and being a better leader, I highly recommend that you check out those resources. They're excellent. Well, thank you as always for joining me on so much more where we do believe that God has so much more to say to us and we are creating space to listen. Hi, I'm Rebecca Scott. As a servant of God, wife, and mother of four, I understand the juggle of multiple roles and stages. That's why I created the Encourager podcast to help guide us through the messy middle stage of life. Join me on the Encourager as we challenge the chaos and embrace harmony. Together, we'll create practical systems to balance your roles and fulfill priorities. And we will do it while having joy and energy for both home and work life. Tune in for inspiring stories and interviews, actionable tips, and methods to do both home and work life. Because here, we believe you can do all things, just not all at once. 